Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Well, this morning we're, uh, <clears throat> we are in the book of Acts again. Surprise, surprise. It's getting a bit regular, isn't it? <laughs> the book of Acts. And uh, we're, in, uh, chapter, we're in chapter 8 today, verses 1 to 4. Nowhere near as long as last week's passage of Scripture, but however, still has an impact. Uh, and we're about to think of another significant or several significant incidences that happened in, this, in these uh, four verses in the life of the early church. And uh, Josh talked about at the end of his uh, last week, he talked about how he was, in, uh, how Stephen was, sorry, how Saul was introduced into the life of the early church with some <clears throat> interesting effects. So let's read that. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout all of the regions of Judea and Samaria. And some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, the first Christian martyr. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, and he went from house to house, dragging both men and women, and threw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So for me, there are three pretty important things happening here in these four verses that I want to highlight this morning. First of all, the apostles stood firm. Secondly, there was a scattering. And third, there was opposition. Sounds like an exciting menu, doesn't it? Well, the apostles stood firm. That's the first thing. Uh, the apostles faced the core of the opposition that was there, the core of the actions and reactions of the religious leaders. And the apostles stood firm. They didn't attack, they didn't run away and hide, no, they just stood firm in the power and strength of Holy Spirit. And I got to thinking, I wonder who else in the Bible did this? I wonder, is this a pattern? And of course, the first one that sprang to my mind was Jesus standing before Pilate. He didn't blame others. Jesus didn't. I mean, Pilate, I don't know. Jesus didn't blame others. He didn't make a whole lot of excuses. He didn't protest about being treated badly. He didn't outline the injustice of the accusations that he was facing. He didn't even point to the errors of the religious leaders and their decisions. And he didn't complain about the irrational and emotional responses of the crowds of everyday people um, that had been clearly whipped up into a frenzy by the stirrers among the crowd who were calling for Jesus to be crucified. Now, Jesus stood firm. 
and he left his case in the hands of his father. Pilate saw what was really going on, and he declared that Jesus was innocent. But he decided that he wasn't able to release Jesus because of the riot it would cause. And there are other incidences in the Bible about people standing firm. Uh, and of course, one, another one that sprang to mind was the um, Israelites when they had left Egypt uh, and the Egyptians started to chase them um, because Pharaoh regretted that he had released them from slavery. So he sent his army to get them, get them back again. And the whole Israeli nation was stuck literally between a rock and a hard place. Or more precisely, mountains on that side, mountains on that side, the Egyptian army coming to get them on this side, and the Red Sea right in front of them. And this is what Moses said. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring. I found another one in Second um, Kings 6. Elisha was uh, in a place called Dotham, and the Israelites were under attack from one of their enemies. But every time the enemy made a strategic plan, God told Elisha what the plan was. And so he told the Israeli king what the plan was and said, don't go there. And the enemy king, after a while, got very, very frustrated about that, as he would, and decided that there was a traitor, a traitor in their ranks. But when he talked that over with the officers of his army, they said, no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is that the God of the Israelites is telling Elisha what the plan is. And Elisha is telling the king not to go there. And uh, this made the uh, enemy king a little furious. And he goes, well, bring me Elisha then, and soon. A few days later, Elisha's servant, or the Bible refers to him as a servant, but it seems as though he was more of a young trainee. Uh, he went outside early one morning, uh, just soon after this, and he found to his horror that the whole town, the whole village, was surrounded by a massive army of, of the enemy. And so the servant was in panic mode and very distressed. But Elisha, when he heard this, was very calm. And when he came outside, he stood firm. And he, he was not afraid because he said, there's more on our side than there is on theirs. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young servant and he saw that the hillside around them was filled with horses and chariots of fire. It really is an amazing story, and there's more to it than that. It's actually really worthwhile reading sometime. And in Isaiah 7 verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And in 1 Corinthians, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And the apostles stood firm in the power and strength of Holy Spirit while all around them chaos was happening with Saul and company going crazy, moving from house to house and dragging off men and women and throwing them into prison. This 
was actually a very, very significant moment in the life of the early church. Uh, Paul um, and co. didn't seem to move against the apostles, and probably because he was leaving the Sanhedrin to deal with them, but he moved with force and murderous intent against the ordinary, everyday people like you and me, um, and he, which he confessed to later in the Acts of the Apostles when he said, and I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Now don't forget at this time in history and for many years after this, prisons were terrible. They were often dug out in the ground, very damp, very dark, they were cramped, they stunk, they were putrid. There was limited or no sanitation and there was no segregation. And so violence and sexual violence was commonplace, but nobody cared because these people were just criminals. If you were in prison, you were a criminal. So back to the apostles, they were now a united group with, with great courage, especially when you compare their reaction to when Jesus was arrested. What did they do then? They ran away and hid. But not now. They're together, united, and standing firm. That's an amazing change, isn't it? So what am I to do today if I face opposition? Well, one of the things is to stand firm in the strength and power of Holy Spirit. That's the first issue that, for me, comes out of that piece of scripture. Secondly, the rest of the people were scattered. There was a scattering going on. And according to Acts chapter 2, verse 5, there were a whole lot of people, a whole lot of Jewish people from all over the then known world in Jerusalem because of Passover about this time. And they would have witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus, which was the night before Passover. So they would have all been in Jerusalem. And some of them obviously had stayed on and witnessed Pentecost uh, because... <clears throat> Uh, of the languages that they spoke when the Holy Spirit fell to so many different people from all over the then known world. So they must have stayed on. But now this madness from Saul and co that started after the death of Stephen caused many of the followers of Jesus to leave Jerusalem. It seems as though this was quite an exodus. But these people carried with them their newfound faith, the message of Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah that had come, had died, and was risen again, and then the outpouring of the Spirit. Now, that's hard for us to understand how meaningful that was for the Jewish people who, who saw what was really happening. Who, who found the, the um, Messiah, that this was really the Messiah. You see, the, the Jewish people had been waiting for this moment ever since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. And if you recall, that's rather a long time. 
And the Jewish families, they were very well versed in scripture because by age 12 they knew the five books of Moses. They could recite large chunks of scripture so that when Holy Spirit came upon them and grabbed hold of this knowledge, these people were well founded in scripture which is one of the reasons why Stephen could deliver such a knowledgeable dissertation to the religious leaders uh, on the day that he was martyred. And so when the believers were scattered, in many ways they were ready to go. Uh, and, <clears throat> and, and carry the message of Jesus with them. And so the news about Jesus spread, spread very quickly throughout Judea and Samaria as in the map that we had a look at before. And it appears to me that these people did not run away and hide as the disciples did when Jesus was arrested. No, they moved out. It was a scattering. And that scattering word is the same word that Jesus used when he told the parable about the sower scattering the seed. So this is not a runaway and hide. This, is, this was a scattering. It was a seed-sowing process. And their focus was to tell other Jewish people about the fulfillment of Scripture, that the long-awaited, long, long-awaited Messiah had come. And this was to the Jewish people. The, the gospel to the Gentiles came later. And we'll run into that soon in the book of Acts. And I'm sure these Jews, Jewish people also talked about living with Holy Spirit because they would have witnessed the outpouring of Holy Spirit um, and, and talked about how this was the new era of a relationship with Yahweh. So that was the second thing. There was a scattering. The third thing uh, is, is that even... Is the, is, is the point of opposition. Even when we are doing the right thing, there can be opposition. And we usually think that whenever we're doing the right thing, it'll all be peace and harmony. And sometimes it is. And when that happens, it's not quite so difficult sticking to the task at hand and standing firm. But it's clear from the life of Jesus while he was on earth and now for the followers of Jesus that this certainly was not going to be the case here. And if we're on the job of changing the world, we are to expect opposition and trouble because we're working in enemy territory. So here's a few thoughts about surviving the opposition. Recently I was reading a book uh, by Dallas Willard, and in it he talked about Psalm 23. Thanks, Steve. Um, <laughs> and you might be able to recite that whole psalm off, uh, and probably other chunks of scripture too. We had to do that in front of the whole church when I was at a place called Sunday School, which was what it was called <clears throat> just a few years ago. <laughs> and, and Dallas Willard pointed out the importance of verse 5 in Psalm 23. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. So who's around us when Holy Spirit feels, feeds my soul? Not my friends. 
not even my church family. It's my enemies. What? That's a bit wacky, isn't it? And I believe this means that opposition is essential to living for Jesus. And, and always in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our struggles, as we fight our enemies, we are feared and anointed. And this nourishment is not just a bit. It's until my soul is filled and overflows with Holy Spirit's goodness and blessing, as in the next part of the verse, you honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessing. All this in the presence of my enemies. And because of this, we learn and we can see and feel and know that our enemies have no power over us because Holy Spirit within us is greater than any power that can come against us. So we don't need to run away and hide, but rather we can stand firm in the presence and power and strength of Holy Spirit. Now if you go back to the beginning of Psalms and read those other verses, you'll find that there are many places we are fed by the quiet waters in green pastures, but especially in the midst of our enemies. You see, our expectation so often is when things, well, opposition and trouble comes, what have I done wrong? Well, that's what I think. Or I'm under attack. So our cry is, take the enemies away, Lord, so as I'll be fed in peace and quiet. But the psalmist finds that, in fact, we're also fed in the middle of our struggles because Holy Spirit spends every day, all day, 24-7 with us. And like Elisha's prayer for his young servant, God, open my eyes to see that there are truly more for us than against us. <clears throat> Many New Zealanders have returned recently uh, from the Commonwealth Games with a great haul of medals, probably on a percentage basis, one of the best percentages uh, of any of the competing countries around the world at those games. And the backstories of many of these athletes um, is just quite amazing. Their stories of, of training and delivering a winning performance good enough to get a medal, uh, I found amazing and um, moving and incredibly inspiring. Clearly, opposition, tears, disappointment, accidents, sickness, disabilities, heartbreak, previous failures, all those things littered the road that they took, but they persevered. And what for? A medal, a crown, uh, the glory of actually winning. Opposition usually does not mean that we're doing it all wrong. It is to be expected as an essential part of our journey as we follow Jesus and bring the good news of Jesus to the world we live in. And this will lead us to a heavenly medal or a heavenly crown. So we need to persevere and not give up, especially when it gets rough 
and tough and we meet opposition. So, stand firm. Take the good news of Jesus to wherever we are scattered to. What does that mean? Well, from this group here this morning, tomorrow we're scattered. We're scattered to community groups, to education centres, to, um, uh, to workplaces. We are scattered. It may not be thousands of kilometres, but for some of us and some people we know it is. So wherever we're scattered to take the good news of Jesus and don't be discouraged by opposition. And it means all three of them. There are times we need to stand firm. There are times that, that um, we are scattered beyond our comfort zone. And sometimes, and all the time, we can be discouraged by opposition and trouble. So this morning, those three things need to reside in my heart and your heart. Now, in order to feed my soul, I'd like to finish this morning with a few moments of personal reflection and meditation. Now, <clears throat> this might be a bit risky, but, <laughs> uh, but I don't want to do this in groups. I would prefer to do this on your own, by yourself. Um, so, I think this part of church is, is, is very, very important because just like an athlete, you can go to a, a, a class where you can talk to, your coach can talk to you and say, now listen, if you change this, it would help you perform better. Or if you did this, uh, perhaps in your diet or, or in your training, this, this will perform better. And you'd probably go, that's a good idea. And so there is a long road often between that's a good idea to this is part of how I act. And that's part of the problem with us Christians as we turn up at church on a Sunday morning and we can walk out of here going, that's a good idea, what did I think of that? But to get that down into my spirit, it sometimes gets there pretty quick, but sometimes not so. And I find that if someone had asked me what the person spoke about on Sunday morning, perhaps that night or the day later, I'd kind of go, um, yeah, well, there were some good things. What were they? Yeah, I'd have to think about that. See, it's, it's, it, that's good. It needs to get in there, but it needs to get lower. And I think that, that reflection and meditation is very much a part of that. It's, and so in order to do this, we probably need to put a whole lot of things aside, like how are the kids doing? Um, what am I going to do after this? What are we going to have for lunch? Where are we going to go this afternoon? How is it going to work out? Um, what do I have to change about my budget or, the, or, or solve the problems at work? Or, we need to put that kind of stuff aside just for a few moments. And, and so I think the purpose of meditation and reflection is to get a good idea or two from there down to here. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, but we've got to give him the space and time and opportunity to do that. So as a starting point, this might be a bit random, 
uh, please think about how you would describe yourself to yourself. Okay? <laughs> you see, we're, we're very capable of describing other people. And depending on who we're describing the person to, will depend on how blunt we are. And so, if I, so uh, to help us, think about three good things about yourself. Okay? I'll, I'll stop prattling in a few minutes so you can have some think time. Um, and then three not-so-good things that will help describe you as a person. If I were to describe myself today, I'd say, I like fixing things and, 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 and fixing problems, solving problems to help people. I um, like to find the best solution, not the most convenient one always, but the best solution. And um, I like to be a busy person. I really do enjoy working. To some people that's quite strange, but I do enjoy that. On the not-so-good side, I struggle with pride and fear of failure. I struggle with uh, selfishness and shyness. So here's the task. Describe yourself to yourself. Okay? You got that? Is that right? Right. I'm going to... You've got a minute. See what you come up with. I want the next part of this to centre around Psalm 139. And uh, you could read the whole psalm if you like, but, and if you want to flick it up on your um, phone app or if you've got a Bible with you, that's fine. But I have summarised um, parts of it here, uh, the core of what we need to reflect and think about. So um, Psalm 139, verses 1 to 12, and in summary, it says, Lord, you have examined me. That's the me you've just talked to yourself about. The good things and the not so good things. You've examined me, Lord. You know everything about me even better than I know myself. You know where I go all my thoughts, everything I do, what I'm going to say, because I can't hide from you. Not even in the darkness. Meditate on that and see how, how you feel. Is that scary? Is that wonderful? Is that a relief?
and then verse 13 to 16. You made all my bits and pieces and my ears and my nose and my, my mouth and my teeth and my toes and my... You made all those bits and pieces but also the inside bits and pieces like my blood pump, my brain, my liver, my bones, my bowels, my sexual organs. You made all that stuff and you knitted it together in my mum's womb. Reflect on that for a moment. And then the last part of that part of the psalm, of that part of the part of psalm, um, you think about, about me so many times a day. So many times that I can't even count them. They're like the sand on the sea, on the seashore. You can't count that. That's how many times the Holy Spirit thinks about me, the me you describe to yourself. And then in the morning, you're still thinking about me. How awesome is that? So let Holy Spirit feed your soul on these things as we reflect and meditate on the words of the Psalms in the presence of my friends. But Holy Spirit can do just exactly the same kind of feeding in the presence of my enemies tomorrow. The blues that I might wake up with tomorrow morning. And every day, he can do that in the presence of my enemies. Because he wants us to stand firm. To take the good news of Jesus to wherever we're scattered. And to not be discouraged by opposition and trouble. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible blessing. It is so awesome to know that you are with us, not just with us, with us. Deeply involved in every one of our hearts and our beings. Thank you for being so amazing and so incredibly good. Amen.